0: Welcome to Forgotten Players, Forgotten Matches, the latest series here on State of Play. My name's Al Belling. And my name's
1: Miles Cade. We've taken the time during lockdown to take a bit of a deep dive into some forgotten cricket history, all the way back to the 19th century and up to the, some recent
0: gems that just don't come up as often as they should. Each week we'll be telling you the story of a particular player or a particular match from years past and bringing it new life. Either Miles or myself will do the research and the other will be in your shoes listening to the stories that have been forgotten But we're retelling.
1: We hope that you enjoy the series as much as we have. Welcome back to State of Play and our new series, Forgotten Players, Forgotten Matches. My name is Miles Cadet.
0: I'm Al Belling. How are we doing, folks? Lovely to see you. Well, slash lovely that you're hearing us again. It's, um yeah, great to be
1: with you and... We've kind of cheated a little bit up until this point in the series, Al, because we've called it forgotten players, forgotten matches. But on the on the grand scheme of things, we really have taken some some more well known pieces of cricket history.
0: Yeah, I would argue the Zimbabwe New Zealand game that we mm. looked at. To be fair, there wasn't really much TV coverage of that match. So I feel like once you're getting into the real niche, looking at the gritty black and white Hindi news highlights, <laughs> that's um, I would say that qualifies for forgotten players or forgotten matches rather. But I, I, I see what you mean, Miles. Like We've looked at some historical figures, all of which may be a bit more niche, but at the same time, there's still folklore that's attached to all of them.
1: Well today we're taking things right back to the nineteenth century and very early twentieth century and we're looking at a forgotten Australian and English Test player called Albert Trott. Now we'll get to him in a little bit, but before we get there, Al, I just want to ask you what do you think of when you're thinking
0: of nineteenth
1: century cricket?
0: Well, I'm imagining the Battle of Trafalgar's going on <laughs> and there's some there's some canon um, cannoneers or whatever you call them <laughs> in the in the British Navy in the frigates, um, yep. getting their eye in before they do, they do battle with the French and Spanish fleet. When it comes to cricket, though, <laughs> what, what are you thinking? Just to show off my my history <laughs> knowledge there. No, when it comes to cricket, I'm thinking of W. G. Grace yep. apparently yep. being a bit of a dick, um, <laughs> for <laughs> lack of a better term. Uh, thinking of absurd stories of you know crowds of twenty six thousand people crammed into a 5,000 capacity venue to watch what on paper would seem like a very boring test match, but then people have heart attacks in the crowd because of the excitement. There's a sort of, I feel like reading excerpts of uh, 19th century cricket is akin to reading the Silmarillion when you've just come off Lord of the Rings. Like things feel kind of mythic, a little bit abstract and weird, but then from time to time, there's just these... Huge moments that are almost like biblical in their scale So mm. that's how I'll consider it Something I want to talk a little bit
1: about I mean, it's a, an impressive list of things you've just rattled off there One thing that I, I want to talk a little bit about is The fact that um, nowadays there's a fairly well established um, I can use a video game term here Meta when it comes to bowling, Very good. right? Very Which good. is what we call broadly overarm bowling Um, In those days, before around the 1900 mark, there were three well-established styles of bowling, even though overarm was beginning to dominate, um, underarm and sidearm.
0: Are you familiar with those? Well, I mean, I feel like any Australian is familiar with underarm given its... It's legendary status in in cricketing history, a la Trevor, Ch- Trevor Chapel to Brian <laughs> McKechnie in 1981. Um, so, that's interesting to hear that it was a bit more of a popular and uh, less uh, disgraceful thing to do. So,
1: more than 150 years of first-class cricket, especially in England, the dominant bowling style was underarm bowling and not rolling it <laughs> along the ground, but literally like imagine kind of softball style bowling bowling where you, you'd run in and you'd fling your arm around underneath and just as long as, as long B- your
0: elbow was straight i'm just imagining jasper Boomer <laughs> <laughs> running in to give his like trademark yeah. underarm whip around or even better like this could conjure a pretty intense mental image but i'm trying to think of more of murley yeah. giving some yeah. underarm doosers and how that so, could look so
1: spin was a, a very common often teams would just play only spinners because that you know you could kind of do more tricks while, it's you kinda, at, it's while you're. It's kind
0: of like marbles, really high yeah. stakes, <laughs> <laughs> shooting for the pegs. Where
1: what that comes from is where stumps started, which is in the early days they were kind of shin height, if that. And so, really, cricket was a, a game of, of underarm. Sidearm was kind of the next development, and um, there's one player in recent times who kind of emulates the that sling, style: slinger, Malinga slinger, Malinga and L- Lasith
0: Malinga. For those wondering, the Sri Lankan. Uh, Former speedster turned (laughs) cult hero of cricket tragics around the world with the dad bod still taking hat I was going
1: to say, I think his body is a bit of a throwback to 19th (laughs) century cricket as well. Um, uh, Malinga isn't a pure side arm bowler, but um, that was a, a common thing as well. It was basically under arm bowlers trying to get quicker and realizing that you could be a bit more accurate if you went sidearm, which feels a bit silly to us now because you go, well you just bowl it over arm if you want to bowl quick, but that was it was frowned upon really. Anyway, we're um we're gonna take a deeper look and so let's take a break uh, when we come back the life and career of Albert Trott. Okay, so as mentioned, we're looking a little bit at Albert Trott today. Two nicknames for two countries, because he played a career in Australia to start, but then very quickly transitioned over to England. And I'm going to say the two nicknames. And I want you to guess which which one was given to him by which country. So we've got Albert
0: Trott. That's a very, very good nickname, actually. Um, bit of rhyme of the ancient Mariner vibe. Um, what's the second one?
1: The other one is just Alberto.
0: Alberto. Oh, dang. We was expecting to be lining up for like the Florida <laughs> thunder, <laughs> Thunderbolts or something of Alberto. I'm going to guess that Albatross is British because there's a more literate um, tradition in Britain at this point in time, whereas Australia would very much have still still had its colonial roots. So
1: Yeah, you're you're, you're absolutely correct. So Albert Trott's story, I've got a list here because researching him, there's just this incredible list of things that happened to him over his career, even though he only played five tests. His story he is... He shot an
0: albatross, Yeah, was on a ship for well, he, he did 200 years. He, he
1: was allegedly so fast that he killed a sparrow <laughs> with, with a cricket ball.
0: Samuel Beckett surely yeah. <laughs> has been watching this man.
1: Uh, Trott's story is one of a six over the Lord's Pavilion, never to be repeated. Two hat tricks in one innings, of drunkenness, of bad luck, eventually of suicide, ultimately perhaps the chase for acceptance that he never found.
0: Sounds like actually like a quintessential eighteen hundreds uh, story, to be mm. honest, of of, of uh, Victorian era masculinity.
1: Well, masculinity is an interesting place to start because one of the things that he was most well known for was his presence, and there's some photos that we'll share on our socials of Albert Trot. He's got the WG Grace vibe to him. The big facial hair, even though he didn't have the big lumbering beard, he was just a big unit. And that is kind of encaptured most by the six that he hit over Lord's Pavilion, which is still the current pavilion that's there and has never been recorded to have happened since.
0: There you go. Not even in like County level. Yeah. 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 There's a few legendary. I'm trying to think of other legendary sixes that have happened, particularly in Britain. I know. Gary Sobers is well known for the flat Mm. six that he apparently struck. I I believe it was maybe at the Oval. So, I don't know. Maybe one day we'll do a little deep dive on the 10 most famous sixes (laughs) ever.
1: Well, Trot would certainly make that list. Now, let's go back to the, (laughs) the start of his career. And we're going to the 1894, 1895 Ashes. Now, this period is, I think, what most people would describe as a bit of a lull between golden eras. Gone are the days of Fred the Demon Spofforth of WG Grace. Although uh, truth is Grace was around for 30, 40 years. So he was still very much playing first class cricket at this time, but we've lost the kind of sheen of of the newness of test cricket. We're also not in the early 20th century golden era that is probably captured most by Victor Trumper here in Mm. Australia. And then a number of other players um, in England and Australia as well. So we've, uh, test cricket has established itself by now um, England have headed over to Australia for the Ashes It's 1894 And they've pulled out two incredible wins Without um, Albatross in the side The first of which was the first ever match Won after following on
0: Right Yeah and It's fairly unique Was the following on rule always something that was in place Up until this point? Great question, Alastair. I've actually got the history of
1: uh, the following on-rule here. Prior to 1894, it was compulsory based on a certain deficit and it was actually quite a low deficit of either 100 or 80 or 120 runs depending on the local rules and that's that's over a period of kind of 100 years up to about 1900. Um, after 1900, it was made optional uh, with a deficit of 150 runs in a three-day match or more or longer. So the truth is the rule has been a bit all over the
0: place. Essentially, nothing has changed in Cricket's <laughs> 150 years. And <laughs> consulting the law book is is, is akin <laughs> to going through the the records of like the Vatican or something, yeah, yeah. trying to find yeah, that's something right. that's remained consistent.
1: Um, interestingly, all three matches where the team following on has won have been against England. Obviously, um The other two are very famous matches. Eden Gardens in 2001 with VVS Laxman. Did you mean against Australia, by the way? Sorry, yes. uh, Interestingly, all three tests where the side following on has won has been against Australia. So, Australia's lost all of those matches. Famously against India in Eden Gardens 2001 with VVS Laxman and then Botham's test in
0: 1981. I believe that match... Was that the game Bob Willis just came out of nowhere in the fourth innings and was able to help bowl Australia out for eighty odd or, or yeah, something yeah, yeah, yeah. in that yeah.
1: area? Willis eight for forty three and it was But his didn't play
0: man of the match.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would. It was. It took something special, and it absolutely did from um from both of them. But yeah, Australia one hundred and eleven all out in the final innings. There, so there you go. With are Australia two nil down in the. 1894-95 Ashes <laughs> and Albert Trot, who up till this point has played um, four or five first-class games, he's a bit of an enigma. Gets selected
0: for um, Australia, we should add. Yes, for Australia
1: here. So he he grew up in Australia in Melbourne.
0: Would he have been cap number 31 or so? I wonder who um, get. I wonder who you get to present your cap to you back then. Like, do you get King George to come out on a boat six months in advance? Or <laughs> I'm trying to think of like other eighteen yeah. hundreds Aussie um Aussie figures who could who could step up and give give the cap to. You. Yeah, well, I don't I'd be
1: interested to find out how they presented caps. It was cap number seventy six you you for get, Australia. Seventy one for Australia.
0: You get one of the actual people from Gone with the Winds. <laughs> it's a coming. little later. <laughs>
1: uh, but I take the point. So, he comes into the third test and Australia are on the ropes here. It's a five-test series, so they obviously need to win the three remaining games. What happens next is possibly one of the best debuts of all time. Um,
0: Certainly, until that point, I would would, would argue it's the greatest of all time.
1: Wait till you find out what he did because it, I think, could quite easily make the top five debuts ever. Australia batting first are on the ropes a little bit when trot comes in at eight for 157 he was an all-rounder but as the new boy in the team was shunted down to number 10 um, a performance of 38 not out lifts them actually all the way up to 238 um, before the aussies bowl england out for 124 in the fourth test australia now one two down in the series Trott makes 85, not out. He's moved up the order he's all a- the way from number 10 to number
0: 9. Oh, he's ascending. Yeah. So, I mean, you need to do that back order five. how What's his average at this point? He be hasn't been a- dismissed in test cricket, and he yeah. sco- scored um,
1: 195 runs in test cricket at this point. Um, and then England are bowled out for 65 and 72, um, in which I'd be interested to know, only three bowlers bowled in those innings, including Trott's brother, Harry. There you go. (laughs) So, um, uh, again, Albert Trott has just made this incredible entrance into test cricket. The fifth test, things don't quite go as well for him, but he, he takes another wicket and England actually claimed the series in the end. So, at this point, it's worth saying that his batting average is higher than Donald Bradman's ended up and his bowling average is lower than Glenn McGrath's
0: so, so statistically at this point He's, he's the greatest all-rounder yeah. of all time <laughs> He's the greatest
1: batter And the greatest bowler of all time Based <laughs> on three tests worth of performance So not worth reading too much into it But I'll, I just want you to have a go at thinking Where does his career go from here?
0: Hmm. Well, it is the 1800s So if you get a toothache You can literally be dead <laughs> within a week So I think you've really got a save at the moment Um Speaking of which, imagine just—I will revert back to your question, but I'm just trying to think. Like, imagine playing cricket under these conditions. You bust your finger, like trying to take a catch. Oh, bad luck, mate! gonna have to go get an operation. No anaesthetic, getting drilled <laughs> away on. I think, I think that you'd be pretty nervy. So I would assume that kind of like a um. I'm pulling a blank now But uh, the swing bowler Who tore it up In his debut With 16 wickets Bob someone Bob Willis Bob, No 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 no, The Australian With absolutely Royal sideburns <laughs> Had one of the craziest Daboos of all time Where he took 8 wickets In both innings oh. Bob Macy Yeah Bob Massey Bob, Bob, Massey. Bob Massey Yeah yeah, yeah. Um, Lin or Massey, Bob Massey. Um, I would assume quite like him, it's maybe a flush in the pan and, you know, time between drinks. He sort of, now that he's established himself, this is now Trot I'm referring back to, maybe lets himself go a little bit and becomes a little bit Trotty, so to speak.
1: So the truth is what
0: happens is he's not selected for the tour that following winter over in england there's some brutal admin going on here man hits 85 not out you get bumped up to number nine and then <laughs> thanks very much you drop from the squad yeah
1: with his brother as the captain of the squad <laughs> at that point as well
0: <laughs> which is just outrageous i think, I think the writing's pretty uh, I, I think that one's a bit on the nose the truth is all the obituaries and everything
1: said about him no one knows why he wasn't selected this there's, there's three main themes that are offered as to why he never played for Australia again so he ends as Australia's best ever batting average if you consider only his Australian performances three things I think <laughs> kind of mark out why he wasn't picked one of them is my clear favourite apparently he performed moderately at a state level but still well enough to, to, to justify selection he was had a tendency for indulgence with the drink and um, he, he used he was a bit of a fan favourite and and spectators would just give him his Give him their beers while fielding, and he was uh, a bit too keen on the uh, pitch
0: side beers, so to speak. Um, my favorite one is that. Can I guess um, that Harry's son bears a scary resemblance to Albert? And so he's like, you're out of the team, buddy. <laughs> well, almost. He, um, he spent
1: too much time, according to one newspaper, coaching the Victorian
0: ladies' team. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I mean, that was Shane Warren's predecessor. <laughs> <Yeah>. is, uh, <laughs> well and truly setting the tradition in, in in play. The most cooked thing
1: about this. <laughs> <That's> so good. <laughs> the most cooked thing about this whole thing is that he went on the boat anyway, even though he wasn't picked. He was like, um, "I'm I'm coming." <laughs> so um, the boat heads off to England, and um, and Trot is on the boat. With his brother, who's just not going to let him play. And all he, all he manages is a substitute fielding appearance at Lords in one game.
0: It's horrible. I feel like if this was in the 21st century, you have a bit of a Gallagher brothers yeah. thing going on here. Just slagging each other up on Twitter, but then they still get on the same <laughs> jet together or something.
1: Um, so it just became clear to Trot that his future playing wasn't with Australia. So he picked up a first class career with Middlesex. And that's really where he made his name globally. Um, we, we could go into more detail, but he, he scored over 10,000 first-class runs. Oh, my gosh. Um, his, bowling, his bowling in particular is what he's most well-known for. So, a bowling all-rounder is, is, is how he's probably bowling best described. With yeah,
0: 10,000 runs in the column. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: right. Took hundreds, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of wickets in first class. Holy moly. If I can talk just a little bit about his style, one thing again, that I think was more common in the 19th century that we don't see so much now is um, a willingness to just bowl different types of deliveries one after each other. You don't have people who just bowl an off spinner one day and a leg spinner like next ball. Like people might switch between games or something, but um, he wasn't a spinner. It wasn't an off spinner or a leg spinner or a medium bowler or even a fast bowler. He was all of those things and potentially in the same over.
0: Goodness. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, he was well-known for... Um, Mr. Mr. Congeniality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a vicious bouncer and he could spin it more than anyone. And after just a few years at Middlesex, he was regarded as the finest all-rounder in the game and heir of WG Grace. Um, so, he obviously played very successfully while at Middlesex. Two stories I want to point out from his time there. Um, one was a, a, a famous anecdote where... Um, a popular type of delivery was called the donkey drop. Uh, particularly, leg spinners would just bowl super loopy, super short, and, um, a,
0: boun- and a, pack- a bouncing fizzer essentially.
1: Except at like 50 k's an hour. So, like, <laughs> so basically, and just stack stack the leg side boundary and try and get basically a challenge to the batters. Like try and clear try the boundary. Try six. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. It's, it's the um, it's the hit me kind of ball. Um, Trot got a bit sick of it, and so what he did is instead of hitting it to the leg side, he turned around to face the keeper and whacked the ball into the <laughs> groin of the keeper. <laughs> Unreal. The quote goes, "I damn near killed him," Alberto said. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> very nice verbatim quoting. Who, who wrote right. that? What's the um? What publication? Was able to, oh, <laughs> to it's score of, it's, that feature.
1: One of those. It's it's like asking who said you drop who who quoted you dropped the World Cup. It was one yeah. of those famous cricketing quotes uh, at the time. Eighteen hundreds tabloid,
0: splashing some feather written
1: <laughs> dross. I've mentioned that he cleared the Lords Pavilion on one occasion, a feat that has never been repeated. One other thing that has only been repeated once, (laughs) there's just so much to say about this guy, but one other thing that has only been repeated once was the time he took two hat tricks in the one innings, except it was basically the worst thing that he could have done. So Trott has been in England at this stage for about 10 years. The year is 1907 and Victor Trumper is at the height of his powers, but... Albert Trott is playing his trade over in England and um, Middlesex hold a benefit match for him, which is um, a bit more of a tradition over in England. It's uh, just just
0: because he's good that it's going to, well, often it's kind of
1: loyal servants of a club will do it. It's known in football as a testimonial. Basically it's to raise money for a certain player, but it's still a first class match. (laughs) So, and what, what it was, it was a, you know, one of those traditions where the, 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 the toffs at a club would turn up and just give heaps of money to um, the ground and then all the ticket sales would be passed on to the player whose benefit match it was. Um, do, do all the players get a say
0: when their benefit match is? Well, no, is it's it? a
1: club decided thing and Paul Collingwood actually had one um, a little while ago but I think he was the last one to have one. Right. Anyway, it's the fourth innings of the game and it's been a fairly uneventful game. Um, the other side are, are, are chasing an unrealistic total but um because it's a benefit match people are still turning up and, and, and walking through the turnstiles anyway trot finishes the game off by taking four wickets in a row and then a few overs later three wickets in a row to take two hat tricks in the innings the the ironic thing Although about the it
0: the four the four wickets in a row though that theoretically it's a double hat that's trick. a double hat trick yeah so it's- there's three hat tricks where can't sort of... I mean, theoretically, yeah, yeah, on paper yeah, yeah. that we're talking <laughs> about.
1: In one sense, it's almost a triple hat trick. Um, but the problem with that is is the game ends so early that all the rich people who are going to turn up in the afternoon <laughs> don't come and oh. he ends up making far, far less than he could have. Not as big of a windfall as he thought. He got 800 pounds out of it, which is still a lot of money still in those days. Really translates
0: to what, $10,000? Or eight, more, yeah, maybe 50,000, 50, something like that.
1: Um but given that his career is coming to an end and that's all he'd known, you know, it's you want it to last quite a few years. W. G. Grace had a benefit match not long later than that, and um, he made something like eighty thousand oh pounds, I believe. Gosh. Like it was, you know, multiple times more than Je- that. Jeff
0: Bezos' money.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So disappointing day for Albertrot, despite taking two hat tricks, and only the only other person who ever has done that is a guy called Joginder Rao. Maybe another yeah. podcast <laughs> to come in the future. <laughs> um, Trot's career ends fairly abruptly, and the tendency for drink um, is really what what does it. He allegedly gained a lot of weight, became very unfit, and was a shadow of his former self at the crease. And his story ends maybe even more abruptly. He's in hospital. He is bored of it, so he escapes. He writes a will on the back of a laundry ticket, which is four pounds and the contents of his wardrobe to his landlady. And he shoots himself in the head. And that's the end of Albert Trot. you
0: know fuck there? Oh God. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is- yeah. Well, look, I mean, he's never one to do things... Um, you know, <laughs> to do things half hardly easy. I like, I'm obviously not making any, any comments here about, about suicide. Like that's obviously a very, very tragic thing to happen. And, and something that is clearly not uncommon in the society back then in terms of the lack of discourse around things like mental health. But it, it really feels like he, he, um, he keeps up this bravado and this character right to the end. So, I mean, I mean, good on his landlady. I'm, I'm assuming that, I mean, if we can somehow get that laundry ticket in this house and frame, that oh, that would yeah. really be the, <laughs> the peak moment, wouldn't that'd be, it?
1: That'd be a pretty iconic piece of cr- cricket memorabilia. Yeah, it, it it was a sad ending for Trot. His wife and kids had, had abandoned ship and they'd, had um, gone back to Australia. His brother, Harry, who we've mentioned, had been in and out of mental asylum in Australia. His father had died. He was unfit, sick...
0: No ladies' no ladies team's a coach by this point. No. I, don't, I don't believe were we, women are allowed to even play county cricket in the 1800s in England? Probably not. No, I'm,
1: not I'm not sure. I, I, it certainly wouldn't have been called county cricket. So, um, you, I, the, the question that kind of leaves me with is, how significant was the non-selection by his brother mm. back in 1896?
0: It's one of those what ifs. It's like, what if Brad Hodge hadn't been dropped? Yeah. After he made what a double century. Yeah. What could he have gone on to do? What could have happened if Stuart McGill's career hadn't coincided with Shane Warne's? What could have happened if Tim Payne, um, you know, was able to well, hadn't broken his finger? Yeah, maybe. that was just, yeah. just to get get his jumping blocks going a little bit better in that charity game. I, I think that's one of the. I think the best part of sport for me though yeah,
1: the, is that the what
0: if. Th- like it's it's always a potential groundhog day. There's always like a oh, you know, so many little storylines that match up and what could have been or whatever. And and I guess from I'm mean, from an observer's point of view, like I think potentially in sport more than anything, those little episodes that happen can result in someone's life literally being changed. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, mm. Trot's death. That's obviously a terrible thing. But in their mm. professional life, um, yeah, especially when you get down to the semantics of something like cricket where just choosing to play a cut shot. Like, you know, uh, many people would say Damien Martin's entire career mm. was ruined by a particularly poor choice of shot. So, absolutely. What if his <laughs> You know, what if he just laid off um, the MCG yeah. coaching? That's <laughs> a little bit. What could have happened? But at the same time, I think that's what makes, makes sport great to observe.
1: And just to to wrap things up here, Al, I, I think one of the reasons that he was so continually popular with crowds is exactly for the same reason. It's the what-if factor. And when you've got a guy who comes in lower down the order and he never really he, – he always stayed in that 8, 9, 10 slot – but if he was always going to swing hard and if he always had a different kind of ball ready each each time he arrived at the crease, it was a big case of what if every time Albert Trott was involved in in a game of cricket. And I, I think that maybe marks his whole career.
0: We're going to wrap it up there, folks. So thank you so much if you've listened to it uh, this far. Uh, next week, we're continuing our little fun little series. We're doing here with a game that... Uh, occurred over in New Zealand, between New Zealand and Sri Lanka, a one day that I guarantee you have never heard of. So until then, go and read Albert Trott's Wikipedia page. See if you can find some old grainy photos Mm. of black and white cricket. I'm Al Belling. And I'm Miles Cadet. See you later.